0: This is Tectonic, a weekly talk show revolving around the seismic shifts in technology culture and the digital age. This is episode 5.
1: I'm Joe Darnell, and with me is my pal Joshua. Joshua, how are you doing? Slowly recovering. I'm telling you what, The uh, yeah, when I get sick, it's usually 24 hours and I'm good to go. It was at least 5 days of uh, not very comfortable time in bed. So yeah, I'm, I'm hanging in there. Yeah, the agents <laughs> of Hydra almost had you that time. It was bad.
0: You're not concerned about any sort of like poisoning in the office? Anybody offending for, you know, trying to take your job? Nothing like that? <laughs> I wish.
1: <Okay. laughs> they can have it. In other news, you're actually trying to move now, aren't you? Yeah. I, and I think that might have been what pushed the, you know, the stress level so high that I, my body just broke down. We just got on contract, and all this stuff started happening at once with mm. different repairs and whatnot. And
0: I, I really feel for you. And that's one thing that all of our gadgets and wares cannot really fight for us is uh, the attack <laughs> of the, the stress levels breaking down our. Not yet, not yet. They,
1: they will one day.
0: Yeah, mm. yeah. I, I have good faith in that. You know, we might should ask our guest today if he has any thoughts on that. Surely he has some insider information. We have Tim Chali's with us who is the writer behind chalice.com. How are you doing, Tim?
2: I'm doing well. Thanks for asking.
0: I've been actually following your writing for a great deal of time, and I love it that you're a Christian writer that has been thinking a lot about technology and the culture at large, been getting very specific about a great number of things. Your research is very, uh, I would say, direct, focused, well-researched. I've been reading your website now for several years. We met many years ago worked together temporarily on a project together for web design. And I remember in those days, you were still at the beginning of your writing experience. You were still at the beginning of your writing career online. I would like to kind of go back in time and just uh, describe real quick who Tim Challies was then and who Tim Challies is today, because I think your, your story from where you were and how you got into web development and uh, one thing led to the next is really fascinating. So what was it, maybe 2008 or seven that you had been writing for a few years at the time?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I guess it must have been back then. I started the site around 2002 is when I first got the domain name. And it was around 2003 that I really started writing day by day. So it's been quite a while now I've been at this thing.
0: Now, when you were writing at the beginning, like most bloggers, you'd probably just found some platform like LiveType and started, you know, regaling a a journal of just your regular day,
2: right? Actually, my story is a little bit different in that I started the website for the sake of my family. It was supposed to be just pictures of the family, things like that. My family had moved to the States. I was up here in Canada. And so I started this little website to share information with them and then uh, occasionally would write a little article I thought that might interest them. And the blog just kind of grew up from there. I guess whatever search engines were around back then picked up those articles and started sharing them with others. And Huh. People started reading. And then Facebook came along, so I didn't need to put the, po- the photos on my own site anymore anyway. so
0: Interesting. So you were right there at the beginning of the social media spectrum with Facebook, I guess. Did you, did you ever capitalize on Twitter early on, or have you guessed since?
2: Yeah, yeah, I got into Twitter, I think, fairly quickly after it began. I don't remember exactly when I jumped on it, but pretty quickly identified itself as something that goes hand-in-hand hand with blogging, a way of identifying your own information or a way of sharing your articles with other people.
0: I'm not exactly sure about this. I mean, I'm sure there are many different opinions about this, but I, I personally think that long-term Twitter has been a better service to the, the bloggers in general than the likes of Facebook. I don't normally go out there to Facebook to you know talk about my blog posts very much because I know they're just my friends and family and they don't necessarily share my, my nerdy interests But occasionally I find something that is worth talking about there and I share it with them and I might get one or two people who take a like to it, but it's usually Twitter where if you want to talk about something very specific about any kind of particular topic that's on your mind. You'll, people will find you because they're interested in the topic and they'll check it out and they'll have a conversation with you.
2: Right. And it's interesting to go back, to think back to the earlier days of blogging where there weren't these social networks tying us together. Blogging was the social network. And so to get from one blog to another, to navigate through them, you'd follow links from one blog to the next. Then social media came along as the the collector of all these things. And so now that instead of going from blog to blog, you go from social media to the blogs. So you look at most blogs today, the vast majority of their traffic comes from Twitter, from Facebook, and so on. And that just wasn't the way it used to be.
0: You remember RSS? Do you still pay any attention to supporting RSS?
2: Yeah, I still use RSS a lot. I use Feedly for my blog reader and so that depends upon RSS. Though it's taken some of the mystery out of it and that it's sort of invisible now, but that still relies on RSS to collect and collate that information.
0: I still prefer RSS from day to day.
2: Yeah, me too. If you have a site where you know in general you like the content, it's far better. RSS just displays it. It doesn't muck with it like Facebook does where it tries to prioritize it or shows you which ones you think you'd want. It just gives you all the information and lets you be a grown-up and sort through it yourself. (laughs)
0: Anytime I I have shared anything on Facebook nowadays, I mean, it, it, even if it's just a small thing, like my, my status update, nobody responds to it for about a day because they're seeing old news. I don't know why they think that that's a good idea.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's very different.
0: Now you want to talk a little bit about where you got started in terms of like uh, the, the serious effort to write articles for your site.
2: Mm-hmm. Sure. So it was in 2003 that I started writing for real I believe, if I'm remembering correctly.
0: That's incredibly early on. for Most people today, most bloggers, they didn't start until just a few years ago, because this happened in waves, you know, different crowds that joined the blogging community.
2: Right, so I was blogging before I really knew I was blogging, right? I was just a guy with a website with an interest in web design, and so I created my own website. It was around the end of 2003, I realized I'm a really bad blogger. I just do it very occasionally. Every couple weeks or every couple months, I was throwing something out there, not putting a lot of time and attention into it. So I just said, why don't I try to write something every day for a year? I enjoy writing. I just need the discipline. And so from November 2003 till November 2004, I did. I, I wrote every single day. At the end of that year, I thought, well, why don't I just recommit for another year? And that just sort of built the habit. And I actually haven't missed a day since then, since late 2003.
0: That is one of the most impressive records. I noticed you have A little statement at the bottom of the footer that says exactly how many days or articles.
2: Yeah. So it says how many days, how many consecutive days I've written. And that just, if you understand it historically, because there was a day when that said 100 and 200 and then 365. So it goes all the way back. And I just kind of kept it around through the different iterations. It's just kind of my thing. And every now and then I remember that it's there and scroll down to the bottom to see where it's where it's at.
0: Now, some of our, our listeners are going to be writers in general, tech writers, people who are interested in how technology is a great pathway to modern communication, which is a huge topic in your book. We'll get to it in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. How, how did you find things to write about that consistently, that often? Did you ever feel like you'd run out of the words to say? Because I know some people experience horrible writer's block. Personally, I, I don't encounter that. My problem is picking the right topic to continue to write about.
2: Yeah. I think there's two things that happen with writers. The first is finding the ideas at all. And for me, that just involves lots of reading, lots of thinking. Just I, I just get information wherever I can. And then there's always something to think about. So just today, reading a book, finding things to write about, looking back at some old sermons I preached, finding things to expand upon— family devotions this morning. As we were reading the Bible, I found something that just really jumped out at me. And so I just get those ideas into Evernote, which I use to collect my information, just get all the ideas in there. So I'm never short of things to think about or to talk about. Uh, And then the second problem for writers is a problem of friction, which is the problem of getting those ideas out of your mind onto your screen or onto your paper, whatever it is. And so I've worked hard to find tools and to master tools that really helped me do that. So Microsoft Word is a very bad tool for getting ideas out of your head and onto the screen. It's just not well suited to it. At least that's my experience with it.
0: But I couldn't agree more.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's just too much to it uh, where I prefer much simpler tools that allow me to to just focus on the writing, focus on the words, not the styling, not the tables, not all that stuff.
0: Mm. Have you dabbled with anything like the syntax formatting of Markdown?
2: Yeah, that's exactly what I use. So I use primarily a program called Ulysses, which is a Mac-only program, and it uses Markdown. So there's very little you can do with formatting, but it's very, very simple, as simple as adding an asterisk to the beginning of a word to make it italics and two asterisks to make it bold. And it really takes away a lot of that friction. I full screen it, so there's nothing on my screen but that, and I just write.
0: Right. (laughs) And doesn't Ulysses work sort of cross-platform with the other app called Daedalus? Yeah,
2: it used to, and it still does, I guess, on iPhone. There's now a dedicated iPad app that works through, if you use their iCloud function, then you can sync your articles between the desktop app and the iPad app. Hmm. The The functionality with Daedalus or whatever it's called was never good. It never worked very well. They were two different paradigms and I never managed to really get them working well together.
0: And Ulysses is the newer paradigm. And it seems like they have a better awareness of like what, what has been tried and failed and where we need to regroup and and isolate. Like this is a use case that works. This is a workflow that'll work for writers. Right. I've heard um, from others that are, that are very attuned to the needs of bloggers and they've been writing for many years as well one of our future guests, uh, David Sparks, he is very fond of Ulysses, mm. but he is experienced in ma- Markdown as well. He's he's dabbled with the iOS app as well. Not been crazy about it. So I know he he's a huge uh, fan of Scrivener. And he's taken a huge interest in Ulysses. So we'll probably further that discussion with David as well.
2: Right. And I use Scrivener for book length projects. And again, the beauty of these things is they separate the final product from the writing of the product. So there's one set of styling you see when you write, and there's another totally different set of styling you see when you finish it or present it. And that's very, very helpful. So you can just have fonts and colors and everything that work for you as a writer And you don't have to think at all about what it'll look like when it actually goes to the blog or goes to the printed page. And that compared to something like Microsoft Word is very, very helpful.
0: Mm. Now, how do you feel that the writing workflow for you with Ulysses compares to people who are trying to collaboratively or just write for themselves using something like Google Docs or using uh, your average uh, just a text file? A lot of people are very fond of using text files so that they feel more comfortable with the backups. Uh, the archival of text files uh, f- sort of like future proofing protecting their their written content by using regular text files, they feel like the, uh, as long as it's it 's not stuck with any particular one application in its own file format that they they can sort of f- future proof their writing. Are you concerned yeah. at all about that? What is the extension for Ulysses files?
2: Um, well, the new Ulysses files are actually, I think they're buried. I think it's very hard to find. So their previous version, they were just .md files, which you could open in uh, quite a few different apps. Now I think they're buried in some weird file system. So they're very hard. Future Proof is very, very poor. Yeah. But I guess that's where I keep dropping most of my stuff on the blog or in actual printed books and trust that somehow i will be able to get them out. But then... Most of what I write, I don't think is significant enough that I really care if I see it again in the future. I'm writing about things that are interesting to me today and things that, you know, I just say what I say and I move on. So there's not a lot of things I think I care to come back to five or 10 years from now. Okay. That said, I have been thinking about the future proofing and um, th- there really are some serious concerns, not just keeping the files, but then. Understanding that if i had used WordPerfect a few years ago, I would have literally no way of opening those files anymore, even though it was the thing at that time. Mm.
0: So these days, you primarily write about well, a wide variety of interesting subject matters, but they all go back to your primary interests. You've been a book reviewer, but also a very active Christian. You've attended many events over the years. You've mm-hmm. done a lot of public speaking engagements and over the years, I guess your activities led one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. Now now you're a pastor. Mm. What's the quick version of that? How do you feel you went from just someone who was studying a topic by topic sort of thing yeah. in your writings for your blog to someone who became the full-time speaker pastor and writer?
2: Right. So the the sort of two different journeys there. The one was Uh, the personal journey of my wife and I developing in our understanding of the Christian faith and then finding a church that was solid and preaching the gospel and where we had very similar theological beliefs and all that. So that was happening on the one level. On the other level was what I was doing in the Christian world and sort of gaining a bit of a profile there and then getting opportunities that came with that. So I see those as very unrelated things. In fact, when We started going to the church we went to. I'd been blogging for a few years, and I think it just come out or was about to come out with my first book. And the leaders of the church very purposely didn't say anything about that. They didn't tell anybody that I had written a book or anything. They just wanted people to find that out on their own. But they didn't want me to come in as someone who had a profile, which I really appreciated. And so I see, again, I see those things as as being quite different from one another. Those two parallel journeys.
0: Oh, that is that is interesting. I, I know my pastor has written books and he has been a part of video courses. And for the most part, the congregation doesn't know about those things. Right. But I had a, th- uh, yeah.
2: And interestingly, the congregation, I don't think really cares that much on the whole because those operate in different worlds. We all have We have people we like to watch at conferences, but our pastor's the guy who ought to be able to show up when we're in the hospital or something. So his public profile doesn't do a whole lot for us when we're members of that church. I I should say as well that I came into the church just as a member of the church with no designs on ministry at all. It it was not until I'd been there for several years that the church approached me and said, "Uh, do you have any interest in being an elder at this church? Do you have any interest in pastoral ministry? And so on. So I didn't go in there seeking any sort of uh, ministry position.
0: And and on that note, that is one of my favorite traits about your story, about where you've come from. Because I feel like just reading your blog consistently off and on over the years and reading your books, that you're first and foremost someone who's trying to be uh, transparent with reality, the issues of life. And you're just accepting reality for what it is, mm-hmm. and you're going to respond to it, you know, appropriately. So, in, uh, it, as you understand reality, it's very true what we see in scripture. We understand uh, history as we know it is to, is actually somewhat steered by. Well, what what does scripture say? Mm-hmm. You'll, you believe in the uh, so I. I literal, I, I don't want to say literal because that means certain things in the Christian culture, but you essentially b- believe in the six days creation. Mm-hmm. You believe in the events of Genesis, the book of Genesis and the yeah. st- the story of the old Testament, everything going back to Moses. You don't question whether or not Moses was a real person. You're right. convinced that he was a real person. Yeah. But then you, but then you try to find the application today in not a sanctimonious way, in a way that feels like religiosity. It's not like you're you're just going through the motions. Like it's so easy to do. <laughs> uh, it's so easy for Christians to make it very ritualistic. And that's what I guess I'm hitting on, is that there's not much about your writing, the topics you address, and how you address them that feels ritualistic. You're not using the buzzwords, phraseology that feels repetitive and like, what do you call it, where... It sounds sacramental or uh, Mm -hmm. just lingo. You don't sound like the politician of the faith, which we (laughs) get so much. I get that from a lot of well-meaning books, a lot of well-meaning speakers. And it's something I think that is easy for the professionally trained seminary experienced theologian to fall into is they'll just use the exact same um, sort of like hyperbole that mm-hmm. that they, they've they gathered over the years in the Christian culture. And so that's one of the reasons why I think your, your work stands out. I, I don't know if, if you, you have any thoughts on that, but mm-hmm. I would like you to, to explain some like, why are you especially interested in technology mm-hmm. and how you've addressed it in your writing on the site and with your book?
2: Sure. So I, I think some of what you're saying is, is in blogging, we ha- you have the opportunity to just think out loud and in public. And that's typically what I do day by day, is just take some idea that I've been thinking about. I don't really know what I think or what I believe until I write about it. So I just go through that process of writing it down. That helps me form my thoughts. And at the end, I can say, okay, now I know this is what I believe. I thought that, but now I've firmed it up. And, and so I think out loud and in public, and that allows other people to read it and to say, "Yeah, I agree," or "No, you're an idiot," and let me tell you why. But it at least gives fr- something from a commoner's perspective, from a lay level perspective. Uh, that's who I am, and and I think that gives people just something to to think about, something to ponder. And I I, I love doing that. I think that's what I that's my favorite thing. Uh, when it came to technology. I've always had an interest in technology, always had an interest in computers. I went. Uh, I was in computers for many years. I had training as a network administrator, did that, and then um, got kind of tired of being laid off from that in a very up-and-down kind of field. And so I learned web design and was doing that for years. So I always had this interest. As my kids started growing up, I started to think about technology a little differently and thinking about the implications to them, to their lives, and began to wonder who's written about this? How can I learn more about how Christians ought to think about technology? And I really didn't find very much. The closest was probably Neil Postman, who, though he wasn't a Christian, definitely had some Judeo-Christian background and had written some really helpful things. Uh, You know, there were a few Christian books, but not a lot yet. And so I just thought, well, why don't I do that? Why don't I take these two interests, technology and theology, let me smash them together and see what happens.
0: I remember in the earlier days, I guess it was the 80s and 90s. And before that, the majority of Christian literature that pertained to technology was concerned with the influence of uh, the media, Mm -hmm. television, television shows, uh, news programs, the influence of the cinema and, and talk radio. Like it seemed like anything that you heard in Christian circles was wary of the art of deception, the distraction, and just the the influence on your worldview that you would gather from th- those media streams, mm-hmm. and one of the biggest complaints was it was a one way stream, and it it basically just meant it was consumptive, one percent of the time.
2: Yeah, and then there's the other, the other whole stream of Y two K books that did very well in the uh, Christian space.
0: Yes. (laughs) Um, Uh, I meant to forget about those.
2: Yeah, we've all tried to. (laughs) Um, Sorry, I had a little Siri there, moment there. I put my hand on my phone by mistake. Um, (laughs) If you heard Siri beeping. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so there there has been that that stream of Christian writing against whatever the latest and greatest technology is, which I think just shows how short-sighted Christians can be. And I, I understand there's a good desire there which is the desire to make sure that we're not corrupted, we're not too influenced, we're thinking about things. But if we go back in history, we see that every big shift in technology, the Christians have been right there and have used it to the glory of God. So we can get all scared about computers and digital devices. But then we look back to the printing press and see right away, Christians were all over that. That was a brand new form of communication that utterly shocked and changed the world. And the best-selling book of all time has been the Bible. In fact, we're so immersed in that medium that we call the Bible a book, even though the Bible isn't really a book, right? It's just the way we think of it because that medium is so normal to us. Someday, our kids, they won't say the Bible is a book. They'll say the Bible is an app or something. I believe that's true because I think the Bible will take over the phone and the phone will... Or whatever it is, all these new media, the Bible will dominate it and become the best downloaded app of all time.
0: Mm. And that's where it's quickly turned into my life. I think of it more as an app than a book myself. I have mm-hmm. four dusty copies of the leather-bound Bible sitting on my nightstand. And the way the way I'm getting to it is through this new app called N-E-U Bible. I guess it's New Bible It lets me read the ESV and the American Standard on my iPhone, and then I have other um, copies on my iPad. And I actually use that to to take notes and read along in church on Sundays.
2: Yeah, and in some ways that app is better than the printed Bible because it removes so much of the clutter that has cluttered up our Bibles now. Um, Some of that clutter is good and it serves its purposes, but you open a lot of Bibles and you've got your cross-references, you've got your notes, you've got your... Uh, study notes, you've got your verses, you've got your chapters, you've got all this stuff. And there's this whole new generation of apps that's trying to make the process as clean and easy as it can be. I think there's a lot of value in that.
0: Mm. Speaking of clean and easy, that's one of the themes I've seen on your website As you talk about the productivity that comes mm. by way of technology. You've talked about scheduling, how you manage your day-to-day activities. You're not using technology. Well, I think that I think that all of us types that are geeky one way or the other. We appreciate in technology on many levels. We appreciate it for the fact that it is able to better serve entertainment. We're all entertained somehow, even by the literature that we're reading mm-hmm. or if it's the television shows or it's the podcasts we listen to in the car, uh, you know, the podcasts are in large part entertainment and in, in a show like ours, And many others, many other great shows that are also educational. We're trying Mm -hmm. to inform and sort of um, review where we are today and where we want to go forward from here. So then there's also that other level that technology is all about communication. So that's where we have smartphones and an infinite amount of, of texting and email. So there are many practical uses for technology. And that's led to this whole new wave on the internet where people are concerned about productivity, getting things done, mindfulness. And some of it, I think is a little bit scary. Like, like it's actually to a fault. We're abs- a little bit too obsessed with the theme of productivity and like inbox zero has been a popular theme abroad. Uh, would yeah. you, I'd love to know a little bit more of just like how you get things done though, sure. <laughs> from day to day.
2: Yeah, so I think what we forget is that the person—I've got a friend who's who every day has one sticky note, one Post-it note, and he writes on that a to-do list with a pen. We forget that he's using technology, too. I mean, the Post-it note is technology, and it's pretty amazing technology— As well, And so too is the pen and so too is the the fact that he can write. So all of these things are technology. The question isn't will you use technology? The question is what technologies will you use? Our functional definition of technology is anything invented after the day I was born, right? But if you go back, you realize it's all technology. Adam and Eve were created naked, alone in a garden, told to exercise dominion over this whole world. They needed technology to do it. And so we're all fully dependent on our tools. Some of us prefer older tools. Some of us prefer newer tools. And I happen to have uh, a real affection for some of the newer tools that have come along in the last little while. Mm. And I think some of the best tools that have come along recently are task management tools. Things like OmniFocus or Things or Todoist. Those kinds of tools which, you know, it's maybe the, the modern equivalent of a day timer or something like that, but our new hardware tools have given us the ability to use these new software tools, which are very, very helpful, and just add a whole new dimension to how we can get things done and to how we can structure our time.
0: Interesting. So so do you keep a, any sort of content for your productivity, um, maybe your lists or your calendar on paper anymore? Or do you keep all of your notes and your, your calendaring in the cloud and beyond?
2: No, I do not use paper at all anymore, really. I guess there would be occasional exceptions, but not for any of my uh, task management or my to-do list. None of my productivity depends upon paper. In fact, it depends upon eliminating paper. So whatever paper I get, I immediately scan or take a picture of it and get it into my system and then hopefully throw the paper away.
0: Interesting. Well, then now that we have kind of like led all the way up to just the cover of your book Tim, let's go ahead and talk about the book. When did you write it originally? Three years
2: ago? Yeah, something like that. I don't even quite remember. I think it came out in two thousand eleven.
0: No, it was like you you alluded to earlier, one of the first books from a Christian worldview concerning technology. But one of the rich things about your book is again because you come from the layman's perspective, you looked at it from a cultural perspective as well, looking at at it. So I mean, as as best as one can objectively to review. history of technology and so i i appreciated the first portions where you talked about the history of technology as we know it a lot of technologies as we know them are only about 200 years old Mm -hmm. what would you say was the theme of your book and what uh, what kind of application are you hoping that the readers would get
2: if people could take anything away from the book i would want them to take away this there's a christian way to think about technology so we as christians ought to be thinking differently about Facebook. We ought to be thinking differently about the iPhone than people who are not believers. It's really that simple. The Bible, as Christians, we can say confidently that the Bible has something to say about Facebook. It won't address it by name, of course. There's no hidden prophecy in Daniel or revelation or something about (laughs) Facebook, but it still speaks to Facebook because it speaks to us. We are people who are constantly moving from ungodly character to godly character, from uh, sin to sanctification. And so the Bible addresses that every time. And when you think about all these new forms of technology, the common theme is communication, right? Facebook, cell phones, iPods, etc. They're all communication devices or communications technologies. And when we think about how much we communicate today, the new ways in which we communicate, we see that we, have a certain, we face a certain kind of danger. The Bible addresses our tongue. It addresses the heart. It addresses all these ways in which we express who and what we are. And so the Bible says a whole lot about how to live as Christians in a world like this one. And all along
0: that, uh, these notes, what exactly led to the book? What, you know, did you realize you were writing the book when you were writing it? Did it start out as a series of blog posts? Or mm-hmm. uh, what was the extension that led to the next story?
2: Yeah, it there there had been some thoughts or some blog posts about technology, but largely no. It was it was what I said before. I just realized that nobody had done this and thought, well, here's how often do you come across a, a topic where you think, oh yeah, nobody's written about this, right? And, and technology, digital technology, is very much one of those where I thought, well, here's an opportunity. I can write a book that hasn't been written yet, and uh, it was a lot of fun to do that.
0: What exactly does the title mean? I I still – I mean like I know there was a portion very early on in the book where you actually explained the thoughts behind the next story as the title. It just hasn't really stuck because I I know that from a Christian perspective, the more entrenched you get into this this paradigm, the more you realize how – you know, we we like a good narrative. I think a lot of Christians appreciate a good fantasy like The Lord of the Rings – or uh, even some more modern myths like the story of Superman, because Mm -hmm. we like the beginning, the middle and the end. We like this baby from Krypton coming from another world that Mm -hmm. was obviously in its own way fallen and sent here to become a savior and, and to do things, but then to live his life a certain way and improve it and make it a better place. And so there is sort of a, a worldview under Superman that uh, the world loves to dabble with and change this way and that. But we, we, we as Christians understand that, The Bible is our guidebook, but it's more than that. It's actually explaining that we are a part of a much bigger story. It is history. Mm -hmm. And we have a great detailed record of many things in this history that we're a part of. We're a part of the history with the biblical characters like Peter, Paul, and Jesus. And so we understand how uh, it's easier to apply the past to the present. The more entrenched you get. But for someone who is, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that are just not that familiar with the subject. Yeah. What inspired the, the name, the next story, and how, how do you tie it back into technology?
2: Sure. So it's a little bit cryptic, but it actually came from a poem written by Danny Hillis. So Danny Hillis was a technologist, and I don't remember exactly what, but he had created something that's in the architecture of microchips or something. And so he's one of those digital pioneers. And he wrote this little poem where he was essentially just wondering, have we gotten ahead of ourselves as we create this next story, whatever we're part of now, this new digital world, have we gotten ahead of ourselves? Have we really stopped to think about what we're doing Or are we just recklessly pressing on without stopping to think, what is this thing? Is this good? Is this bad? Is this indifferent? And so I just took his little poem, which ends with, it's not that we finished that, but we've gotten ahead of ourselves and we don't know what the next story is after that. And so I think by saying the next story, I was just sort of showing that this is a process we're going through here. This is a story that began in the garden and will end in the new Jerusalem and somewhere along the way, we're part of that story, and that story right now is being written digitally. So what are we as Christians going to do about it? How can we play our role?
0: It's interesting, too. One of the themes that's coming up a lot in uh, journalism today concerning technology is you know wrapped around your wrist, and they're talking about Apple Watches. And, and what they're thinking about is, well, why did Apple make the watch in the first place? Were they just trying to you know, make more money? Did they set out to create something based on a, an actual need? And then they they just figured out how to design it to answer the need as well as possible. And then uh, you hear from their engineers and from their designers through various means of uh, interviews that when they set out to create the watch, it was not because they, they were trying to answer a need, but because they simply loved the answers that watches already provided they already were fans of the technology of regular wristwatches. And so once they started to design their own, they then started to explore new ways to make use of what was on the wrist. But then this is something, the reason I'm asking that I'm bringing this up is because this is a topic that really irks a lot of people who want to find validation about their technology. They want to say, aha, the, the, the designer, that the inventor, he had, uh, he had found a problem and he was going to answer it with this smartphone. It was going to answer it with this new, uh, you know, digital display. It was going to make it easier to read on the eyes, you know, and and that's why this now exists. But then, so, like so, you know, we see this a lot in a lot of the uh, articles today, that there is this debate between: are you are you designing uh, around answering a need, or are you designing around something else—the lack of a need? And you just explored a thing, and then you came out with like the Apple Watch, something that was just the byproduct of we enjoy the idea of watches. And and you brought this up in in your book, Tim. That actually all techn- technology usually is 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 designed first, and then we discover what needs it fulfills, what it answers. It does it doesn't right. it doesn't work the other way around. We. We figured out uh, what a wheel was and then we put it on a cart and figured, aha, well, now it can move this cart. And then, then after that, we thought, well, we'll just carry the cart. <laughs> but then eventually people figured out, no, actually a much a smarter idea would be actually to tie this to a horse or, or to a donkey. You know, We don't always uh, set about these things in a linear fashion that's very uh, simple and straightforward. I thought that was an interesting theme that you had brought up in the book that is applicable today.
2: Yeah, and, and we see through the, the history of technology that we, we learn how a thing will be used over time. And that's why guys like Marshall McLuhan or Neil Postman would always say, go back and ask, why were you created? Because they would say devices always tend to revert to their natural use, right? So mm-hmm. if you use Snapchat and you give your kids Snapchat and say, only chat with grandma or something – You shouldn't be surprised when before long they're taking naked pictures of themselves because that's why Snapchat exists, right? It will eventually, presumably, revert to the reason it was created. And so we always do well to have an eye on that. If something was created to be aesthetically pleasing, then maybe that will be its deepest meaning or deepest significance in the end. Or maybe not. Maybe we'll find other ways of using it. But we always want to have an eye on why that thing was made. The the cell phone treats us all like businessmen, people you should be able to get a hold of anytime, at any place, no matter what we're doing. Because that's why it was created, right? It was created to draw people, to to get attention from people when they were away from the office, right? When the, the, the boss of the company was away, he was at home, but we need him right now. Great, he'll have a cell phone. So I shouldn't be surprised when my cell phone treats me like that. So that's what those technologists are always trying to get us to think about. Why was this thing made? And then why should I be surprised when that's eventually the way it functions in my life?
0: Mm. Coming back now full circle, I guess, uh, like in conclusion about concerning your book, where do you see the subject going now? Have you been, uh, have you addressed these things in your own church? Have you talked to young people today? Have you seen, uh, what is their response to the themes in your book, if anything?
2: Yeah, I've had lots of opportunity to speak with lots of people about it. And I think people are very eager to learn about this. So technology is an area of discipleship we just plain miss, right? So as Christians, we're, we're expected to help people, help them grow into maturity. And yet we tend to completely skip the area of technology. And so I think that's an area where parents can be speaking to their kids and helping them understand where we can address these things and, and help people understand technology is good. In the big picture, technology is good. Um, It's a way that we carry out our creation mandate to exercise dominion over this world. Individual technologies, they're not moral, they're not good, they're not evil, but they can be used for good. So, they can be used to carry out our creation mandate, or they can be used for evil. They can be used to take away from that. And so, day by day, moment by moment, right before me, I've got Facebook. Will I use that to honor God, or will I use it to harm God or to honor myself, right? Do I idolize myself? My phone, I can use it to do so much good. I can use it to do so much evil. When we see the biblical view of this world, we understand we're caught right in the middle of this battle. Day by day, we're, we're soldiers in this battle. How will we use these things?
1: Do you think, uh, you know, coming from a, <clears throat> you know, individual's perspective that might love technology or hate technology, think it's going to, you know, lead the world towards a dystopian future or lead to, you know, utopia, that kind of optimism. Do you think it, it, it really is just driven from the, I guess, the presuppositions of the individual, what they think about the future, what they think is coming, what they think? Do you think that informs how people view the, view technology as a tool?
2: Yeah, I think if you understand the history of technology, and most Christians don't understand the history of the church, therefore they're blindsided by new things that come along, right? right? And they, they don't realize the emergent church was addressed by Gresham Machen back in the age of liberalism. We don't need to do all this work again. It's already been been dealt with. And technology is much the same. We we get so terrified by cell phones, but we just need to go back to the telegraph or go back to the printing press, and there's so much we can learn if only we'll keep that eye on history. So utopia or dystopia, there's always this part of my heart that thinks if I just get this thing I'll be happy. If I just get this thing then I'll be content, right? So I'm more concerned about the utopia or dystopia that goes on in my own mind, in my own heart, <laughs> where I think, man, if I don't have that Apple Watch, I, I just don't know that I can go on. That's how it feels, right? Or I look at someone else and think, man, if he gets that, his life will be over. But it's it's never <laughs> that simple.
0: Right. Right. Well, Tim, this has been excellent material. Thank you so much for being on episode five. Uh, You were actually the first person to say yes, that he would be on the show. (laughs) I am eternally grateful. We'll have you back because there's so much more we could talk about. Where would you like people to find you online if they want to reach out to you directly or to discover the book?
2: Sure. Yeah, they can just go to chalies.com. So C-H-A-L-L-I-E-S.com. They can find out about me there. They can find out about the book there.
0: All right, well, this completes episode five of Tectonic. Visit tectonic.fm slash five for the show notes and links. If you want to connect with us, we are at tectonic.fm on Twitter. And send your feedback via email to hello at tectonic.fm. If you want to help us out, you know, go over to iTunes, check us out there, give us a star rating and leave a review. That will help others to discover the show. I am Joe Darnell, and you've been listening to Tectonic.